I used to have a friend that worked for a soft drink company, and uh, we were out one day eating lunch, and uh, of course, they didn't serve the products that he sold, and so I said, well, why don't you just get some of this other product from another company? He said, oh, no, I can't do that. I said, why? He said, well, if I got caught with that, I would lose my job. I'm like, really? He said, no, seriously, if, if I am in my uniform and I am seen taking a drink from the competition soda, I will lose my job. I said, wow, that's a pretty good accountability, don't you think? And then when I thought about that, uh, I thought, boy, if there was not a better illustration of what James is trying to teach us today, meaning that we all wear the uniform of being a Christian. And so that's why it is of utmost importance that when we treat people the way we treat them, that it would be the way Jesus would treat them. Because some of the biggest harm that is done today is people treating people unethically in the name of Jesus. That is based upon human tradition and not based upon God's word itself. And so this morning, James is teaching us about the practical application of biblical truth. And what he says is that as believers in Jesus Christ who share his name, we do share his name, right? You know the word Christian. The Christian came from the term that they would call people that follow Jesus. Look at those little Christs. Little Christs. That's what a Christian is. And I'm going to tell you, that wasn't a positive term of endearment. They were making fun of people that were following Christ. So if we wear the name Christian, that means that we are supposed to be like Christ. We should model His likeness. And we must apply good thinking and attitudes towards the way we treat others. And then, believe it or not, those who claim to have Christ as their Savior and Lord should treat others the way Jesus would treat them. Now, if you take that, that template and you say, well, I should treat everybody like Jesus has treated me, man, this would be a much different world. But this morning, James gives us the basics of the gospel. God, God's will for our lives and, and a small test to see if we will truly Apply what we believe. So let's take a look and see. The first thing that we see is that our true faith is revealed in how we treat others. Our true faith is revealed in how we treat others. I'm sure you have known people before that when you meet them, they're right off the bat. They got a Christian bumper sticker. They got a Christian t-shirt and they'll throw their hands up and praise Jesus. And they will tell you about how great a Christian they are. But when they open their mouths and when they treat you the way they treat you, it leaves it to be suspect. It's not about what we wear. It's not about what we put on our car. It's not about what we say, but it is about how we treat others. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in your glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others? Man, he has already gone stepping on toes. And he says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in a fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show 
that your judgments are guided by evil motives. That the way we treat others, if we treat them unfairly and unjustly, it is because we have evil motives. Now, in today's world, we don't like to say that. We like to say, well, that's the way I was raised. Or that's the culture that we live in. But no, when we treat other people harshly and poorly and discriminate against other people, it is not the gospel. It is not what Jesus has called us to do. And James is calling out the Jewish Christians on this. And so here is the myth that looking down on others makes us better. If anybody has ever spent a minute in elementary school or middle school, you know what this is. Uh, what they try to do is they try to find some kid that can be the brunt of all the jokes. And if they can talk bad about that kid, it makes themselves look better. Well, you know, and I know now, thanks to Facebook and class reunions and other things, that those people that were bullies in, in middle school and even in high school, now they're just mean. And then those people that took all of that stuff from them, some of them have gone on to, to live great lives and some of them have not. And, and the cold hard truth of that is in this meeting room this morning, in this sanctuary, there are some of you in here that were the people making fun of somebody else. Oh no, I didn't start it. I just, I just kind of jumped in. Well, you're part of the problem. Oh no, I didn't say anything about that kid. I just, I just kept quiet. Still part of the problem. And maybe some of you in here, you were that kid that people treated harshly. You ever thought about what happened to them? Because I'm, I'm telling you that even I'm, I'm preaching not at you, I'm preaching with you because I remember kids growing up in middle school and high school that they were the brunt of the jokes and I did nothing to stop that. And I went to youth group every Wednesday night. And I was the one with the Christian camp t-shirts. And laughing, ha <laughs> ha, that's funny. Never joining in, but never defending. What kind of picture does that show? What kind of picture does it show when a self-proclaimed Christian businessman or businesswoman does somebody wrong? Treats their employers improperly. Get involved in unethical things. It's, it's damaging to the gospel. It's damaging to what the church is trying to do. It's damaging to the message, message of Jesus Christ. And what they call that in the business world is they basically call it a damage to their branding. If you want to know what I mean, I mean, you, you look today, if a, if a celebrity has Twitter and they tweet the wrong thing or they say the wrong thing in an interview, they can have sponsors drop in a heartbeat because they do not want people to associate their brand with that person. Praise God, Jesus doesn't drop us when we misrepresent his brand. That's where it comes to grace. And it comes to us trying to be better. Because everyone is looking for a way to differentiate themselves from somebody else. But if you have to make somebody else the brunt of your joke. Or you have to put down somebody else because of their monetary account. Or because of their age. Or because of the color of their skin. Or even all these other things that we try to separate people by. Just to make yourself better, that makes you someone who is shallow. That makes you someone who is not applying the gospel to their lives. This does nothing but make us look shallow, fake, and mean-hearted, and pretty much just a sad person. 
Because we're not doing what Jesus has told us to do. So looking down on others is showing favoritism. There's no other way around that because the term favoritism, do you know what favoritism actually means? It means to be a respecter of persons. In other words, it means that you really care about what certain people think. James takes each issue with their perception of themselves. Now remember, he's not writing to the lost world. He's not writing to the masses. He's writing to the church. He's saying, folks, you folks in the church are not treating people the right way. And let me help you out. Let me show you some things. And many of the Jewish believers in the early church, they had a sense of elitism. Because yes, they were part of this new movement called the Way that was uh, followers of Jesus Christ. But they still had a lot of baggage. And they had a lot of history. They were God's chosen. We know in the New Testament that for the longest time, even the Jewish Christians, they always wanted to add other stuff from their religion to make their newfound faith in Christ seem legitimate so that they could be some type of elite person, some type of elite believer. And Jesus said, I'll have none of that. Paul said, we'll have none of that. It's either Jesus or nothing. Jesus alone. But these Jewish Christians, they were trying to to hold on to some of the old ways. But the world will raise up and reject people on a daily basis. This is expected in the world, but it should not be done in a church. We should not respect one person over another person within the walls of this sanctuary or any part on this campus. If someone walks in here with tattered shoes and holes in their pants and holes in their shirt, we ought to say, thank God you're here. If we've got something and you want it, we'll give it to you. But if not, you come sit down beside me. Or if the person comes in and they got more accessories dangling off of them and they've got some kind of celebrity status, we should treat them the same way. And be nice to everyone, regardless of what they're wearing, regardless of their status. Because look, being rich is not a sin. There are some people that have built their businesses off of Christian principles and they make a lot of money, but they also do a lot with their money for the Lord. And there are some poor people that don't have a lot, but yet they do more for the kingdom than even the richest person. And yet there are poor people that do nothing for the kingdom and nothing for themselves. And so James is trying to to focus on this imbalance of wealth. We would like to say that it's not that uh, people putting so much emphasis on money is not a problem. But folks, it absolutely is. Being rich, again, is not a sin. But then again, being poor is not a sin either. James is waging war on this unfair treatment of categorizing people by the money that they have. As I told you before, I'll tell you again. I don't look at tithing records. I don't care how much you give. Because I'm going to treat every one of you the same way. Whether you give a lot or a little. And if all you got is a penny to put into play today, I praise God for that penny. Because it's not the amount of the check. It's not the amount of zeros. It's not the weight of the coins. But it's the weight from the heart from which it is given. And so we as a church, we are not in an affluent part of Anderson, but still, we have got people from all different backgrounds here. And I praise God for that. That is the church. 
That is what it needs to be. And if we ever show favoritism among our people in this building or among our people in this community, God will shut the doors. And James is reminding us of that. And see, it's hard for a rich person to identify with Jesus. You ever thought of that? It's really hard for someone who is a rich, worldly person to identify with Jesus. Well, we we see that Jesus kind of came for everybody, but the poor people can really identify with him. Why is that? Well, Jesus, while he was on earth, he was not rich. He was not part of any government or family or, you know, the Jewish people thought the Messiah would be someone that would come with a lot of prestige. No, he was a carpenter by trade. And his father wasn't even his real father. Supposedly, his mother said that God got her pregnant. You don't think that story circulated around? You don't think people thought, yeah, right. So here he was, he was learning his trade as a carpenter. A good blue collar, common job that, that people wouldn't take a lot to look at. Also, he was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. This man could call an angel of armies to rescue him and take him away at any moment. But he humbled himself. Also, Jesus was born in poverty. Many of us, thankfully, were born in a hospital or or in a home or a nice bed or something like that. He was born in a cave or a, a stable where animals stayed. His, his first bed was a feeding trough. That's the way the king of kings and the Lord of lords came into this world. He had to borrow an animal to ride into Jerusalem for his triumphant entry. You know, they're waving palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to God in the highest. He's riding in on a borrowed mule. He was so poor that his tomb had to be borrowed. From somebody who was well off. So you see here, again, the focus is, is that here we have Jesus who is the anti-everything that deals with getting ahead in life. He was a servant. He was a people person. He was a person of the people. And whether you were rich or poor or whatever color skin you were or whatever language you taught, he is your person. He knows what it means to come from humble beginnings. Showing favoritism though, it also exposes our secret motives. Now, if you go back and look at verse 4, it says, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, I don't know if you, you really see this, but I'm telling you what, if a celebrity came in and sat in one of our pews, I'm sure somebody would notice and either want to talk to them or get an autograph or something like that. We were in a church, Don and I, for several years, and there was a celebrity that would, would attend every now and then because uh, his family, his mother went to the church. And, and so he was a baseball player for a nationally known baseball team that made it to the World Series. I'll tell you what, he invited the youth and the youth group over to his house. I have seen the World Series trophy. It is amazing. I'll tell you what, it's amazing. And he and his wife and his children are the best you would ever come into contact with. He doesn't, he doesn't give into that celebrity status, but I'll tell you what, when people found out that he would be in church, 
they would have their pockets filled with baseballs for him to sign. And I'm not talking just the kids. I'm talking the adults and the grandfathers. The man couldn't even come to church without having to sign a baseball. But hey, he did it. And, you know, you're like, well, James, that's kind of a stretch. There's nothing evil about that, is it? How many people did those people with baseballs have to climb over to get to him? How many people did they have to disregard to get to him? How many people saw themselves being passed over because there was somebody more famous behind them? And even for those that are celebrities, that sometimes they just want to come to church and they don't want you to make a big deal about that status. They just want to worship the Lord like everybody else. Now, I know we don't have a national baseball star that come to our church. But I'm telling you what, every day if we shake the hands and we grab the necks and we ask how everybody's doing of the same exact people. You better... And I better make sure that we don't pass over a single one. Because if we do, all it takes is a moment for the devil to get in their mind and say, Look, they passed you by. They don't care about you. This church is not for you. You should have never came in the first place. We've got to think about these things. And even when we're out in public, if you go to Walmart, you're going to see somebody you go to church with. That's just the way it works. Or if you're out in public, you have, hey, look, there's somebody who goes to my church. All of a sudden, you're ducking behind stuff. Oh, there's the preacher. I don't want him to see me with this. All that kind of stuff. Let's just be the church. Let's, let's just be who we are and let's treat people like Jesus would want us to treat them. Folks, the world does this whole game of, of lifting up celebrities. And discarding those that don't have anything of earthly value. The church better not do the same thing. What do you want to identify with? Someone who is successful and has their life together according to the world standard? Or do you want to identify with someone who seems to be a failure and can offer you nothing? Of course, all of us want to have people that are popular around us. But remember, there is no glory anyone can give us that God does not provide. Church is about Him and Him alone. My friend, if you are a respecter of persons and you are holding people in higher standards and, and giving them more weight in your life and, and discounting others, my friend, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to be in a pickle. Because one day, all of these titles that we have, all of these bank accounts that we have, all of these popularity things that we have, all of our followers on Facebook or Twitter are not going to matter because it will all be gone in an instant. And the only thing that will remain is what we've done for the Lord. So to seek anything over God is to miss all that God has for you. To seek anything over God is to miss all that He has for you. We also see that we show favoritism when we take our eyes off of God and we put them on people. Folks, we are to be a respecter of God first, no matter what your age. I can't imagine what it would be like to walk through elementary, middle, and high school halls today and and all that judging and all the stuff that goes on. 
Kids, I don't see how you were, how, how we were able to, to be raised in an environment that didn't have Facebook or social media. I thank God for it. But now you just can't get away from this stuff. And everybody is so concerned about how many followers they have or how they look or is, is this selfie going to make me look fat? And all of these different things. But the truth is, is that we shouldn't worry about what other pe- people think. We should worry about what God thinks. The second thing that we see is that we should show mercy as we have received it. We should show mercy as we have received it. In verses 5 through 11, it says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? And aren't the ones who will inherit the kingdom promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor someone over others, you are coming, committing a sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. Folks, showing favoritism to those who treat you badly is counterproductive. Showing favoritism to those who treat you badly is counterproductive. Why would somebody want the type of person that is oppressing them? Why would you want to become that person? That is what James is saying. Look, the very people you are trying to emulate, the very people that you are trying to become are the ones that are taking your money and they're making fun of you and they are getting rich at the expense of your dollar. I was like, you know what the most targeted dollar is in advertising? The children and the teenagers. There are billions of dollars spent every year researching what needs to be done to drag the money of the parents out of their wallets to make their kids happy. And people are getting rich off of it. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself. But at what price does that come? Many have climbed the corporate ladder. Many have climbed the political ladder. And only to find when they reach the top that one of three things has happened. It is not all they thought it would be. Or it has come at such a great cost. Or they became the very thing that they hated. Folks, when we try to emulate anyone or anything other than Christ, we become a part of the problem of favoritism. And the poor that James is referring to are the many who served in other medial jobs. Don't thumb your nose at your waitress, your trash collector, that guy or that girl that flips a sign on the side of the road so you can go by in one lane. Don't thumb your nose at that. Don't thumb your nose at the person that's going to come behind you and pick up your trash. You don't know what they're like. Well, some of you in here are that person. And God calls you his prized possession. And that there are some people that have more money than they can count, but yet their hearts are as black as coal. He talks about in verses 8 through 11, the royal law. 
James is reminding the Jewish believers, they knew what the royal law was. The royal law was this. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we're getting into some very basic concepts here. Um, Matthew 2, verses 37 through 39. They asked Jesus, well, what is the greatest command? Because they thought if they could trap him into saying this is more important than the other, then they could say, well, if you break one, then you're just a sham. And that's, that's what James is saying here, is that these Jewish Christians were thinking that they were so good because they were keeping all of the laws. Well, most of them. And so he reminds them of the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people. That is the greatest commandment. If you want to, to summarize, if you want the cliff notes of the Ten Commandments, it is this. Love God and love people. What is the mission of us as believers? To love God and love people. What is the mission of Holland Park Baptist Church? Is to love God and love people. What is your purpose in your job? To love God and love people. What is your purpose with your family? Even the ones that grate your nerves. To love God and love people. Folks, we wear His name. We do not need to lose sight of that. Because showing favoritism... Breaks God's royal law. I think of this. I mean, do we know our neighbors? Do we value our neighbors? Those that live in the houses right beside us or across from us or down the street. Most of us don't even know them. They know we go to church because they see us go to church every Sunday. We pass by them and they're out in their yard watering the bushes and we think, oh man, wouldn't it be great just to stay home and water the bushes? And then when we pass and they look at us and say, oh, wouldn't it be great for somebody to invite us to church? James is reminding the church and us that we are not as perfect as we think. Folks, there will come a day when we all will be standing before God. And God will ask us, well, how many of these commandments did you break? He says, oh, yeah, well, well let me pull out this book and let me show you this. And let me show you this. And let me show you this. He will show us where we have failed him. He said, man, that's, that's pretty tough. That's true. But then again, he'll say, that's okay. You accepted my son, Jesus Christ. His blood has covered every one of these. Some of you in here today are dealing with sins that you think God could never forgive. And my friend, let me lovingly tell you, the only sin that God will not forgive is rejecting his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. There is nothing other than that. That he cannot forgive. So how do we fight favoritism? A couple of things. Number one, we need to stop focusing on external things. We need to stop focusing on external things. Whatever handbag we got this week. Or whatever pair of shoes we got. Or whatever look we have or whatever we have in our driveway or whatever kind of computer or phone we have, it doesn't matter. It's going to be out of date in about a month. We we work so hard to focus on external things. we got to stop that. The second thing, stop making quick assessments. I don't, how many of y'all enjoy watching people? I know some of you do because you said it. And I enjoy watching people. I never forget when I was a summer missionary one year and I was without people for about 10 weeks of people I knew. I would just go to the mall, grab a yogurt and just sit there and watch people walk by wondering, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder where they're from. And, and we all do that. 
But we've got to be careful when we watch people that we don't pass judgment on them. Because I'm sure that there's other people like watching people and they've seen you. And they've seen me. Don't automatically look at somebody and write them off. Take a moment to get to know them. And then evaluate your motives for the way you treat people. There are some people that they are users and abusers. And the people in their lives are only a means for them to get to the next level. That is not God. That is not the gospel. And that is not what you and I should do. The third thing that we see is that we all face judgment for the way we treat others. Verses 12 and 13 say, so whatever you say. Again, there's that word, whatever. What does whatever mean? (laughs) Whatever. Whatever you say. Whatever you say or whatever you do. Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Folks, too many believers live today like there will be no judgment. But folks, there will come a day where we will all have to give an account. I cannot stand April 15th. Because we have got to tell the government how much money we make and how much we need to be taxed on that. Why do I do that? Because Jesus told me that we have to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We have to obey the laws of the land that we're in when it comes to paying taxes. And I do that. And I don't like it. But I know that every year i got to keep my receipts. And i got to make some type of, of presentation of where I stand. I know that's coming year after year after year. And there are more people that are afraid of tax day than judgment day. Judgment Day is coming, folks. How can we not show mercy to others when we are in such dire need of it ourselves? Why are we in need of it? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My friend, if you're in here sitting in a pew today, you are a sinner. And my friend, this pulpit has got one of the biggest sinners in the world right here. I'm a sinner. Sometimes my brain, I just, I get the weirdest thoughts. You know what I just thought of? Do you remember that old Dr. Pepper commercial? I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper. All of a sudden in my head I'm singing, I'm a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner, we're a sinner. Yeah, probably should have left that in my head. But anyway, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. We need to fight the temptation to show favoritism. How do you fight the temptation to show favoritism? You remember what Jesus has done for you. And the term we call today, pay it forward. Treat others the way Jesus has treated you. So our relationship with God and our relationship with others will thrive 
Your relationships, some of you in here have, have great relationships with your family. Some of you have fractured relationships with your family. Some of you have no relationships at all with your family and your friends and your co-workers. But folks, your relationships and my relationships will thrive when we can receive the mercy God has given to us and share it with others. You want a drama-free life? That's how you do it. You receive mercy from God and you share it with others. He will always deal in, God will always deal in justice when His mercy is despised. For those that hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mercy that is given to them and they don't want to hear it and they reject it, judgment is coming. To be on the wrong side of God's mercy is to stand right smack dab in the middle of His judgment. So basically, real Christians show mercy by loving God and loving others more than themselves. That's what James is teaching us in chapter 2 in the first half. He's warning us against prejudice. That goes for the color of a skin. That even goes for, though we don't agree with it, some of the people, the choices people make in their sexuality. We don't need to treat them as secondhand citizens. We need to love them. Some of you even in here today, you have people in your family that have been ostracized by the church and you're afraid to invite them to church because you're afraid of what some person might say. Folks, we need to quit worrying about what divides us and rally around what, uni- what unites us. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How much differently would our world look if we were to apply this to love God and love others more than ourselves? i got news for you. The government will never do that. The Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, and whatever else they got out there, Libertarians, I don't know. They've probably even got some new ones now. Our salvation is not going to come through a government. Our salvation is not going to come through a trending Twitter topic. Our salvation is going to come from Jesus Christ alone. And though we will never see this fully realized on this world, we will see it realized in the new heaven and the new earth where everyone loves God and they love others more than themselves. But you cannot do this alone. Some of you say, well, preacher, <laughs> you just don't understand the person God's telling me I need to love. You don't understand what they've done. No, I understand. Because I've got people in my life like that too. Oh, but preacher, this is different. You don't know my situation. I don't. But God does. And the last time I looked in the scripture, there was no disclaimer or opt-out clause for loving God and loving others. He said that is the greatest commandment. But you cannot do it alone. How can you do it? With His help. God will help you by His mercy and send you others to help you if you will simply let them. 
Let's start treating others today the way Jesus has treated us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for James and his words to us today. They remind us not only are we to worship and to throw our hands up and to pray and to come to church, but Lord, we are to treat others the way you have treated us. To not be a respecter of persons because of what's in their wallet or what's on their back or what kind of status they have, but because they are a child of God. And Lord, there are people here today that they want to do that, but they don't see how. It starts with a realization that they have received mercy from you. That their sins are no longer held against them, but forgiven. Why? Just because you love them. And if there's one person here today that wants to know you as their Savior, Lord, and receive that mercy and receive that forgiveness of sins so they can pay it forward to those around them. I pray that they not leave this building today before they talk with me or someone else, Lord, that can teach them and show them how to pray and to become a Christian, to surrender their life. There are many believers here today that are shackled by the memories and the relationships of people that you want to deal with. And so, Lord, I pray you give them the strength. If they want to come to the altar and pray, pray with me, they may do it. Or maybe someone wants to join the church or get baptized or just, just pray. Whatever it may be, Lord, it's time for them to respond, Lord. And for those that are afraid of what will people think, <laughs> that's favoritism too. And I guarantee you, if one sinner comes down front, every person in here will rejoice. And even if they wouldn't, the Bible says that heaven does. But Lord, may you work. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?